Let's pray together. Father, we think back to the statement that was made by John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are the Lamb of God. Thank you that you came to take away our sin, take away the curse of sin in our world, to give hope to sinners like us. We thank you that you are the one who has the power and you have the heart out of a a loving heart and a heart full of grace and mercy that you desire to see our lives changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that we might today find our hope in you. If there are those who are here today, Lord, who may be spiritually blind even now, we pray that you'd open their eyes to see the glories of Christ and that all of us, Lord, will be able to say, Lord, we come to you. We are coming to you today, Lord, for hope, for forgiveness, for cleansing, for eternal life, for peace, for joy, and for, indeed, the blessing of knowing you. Father, we pray that your word today would help bring words of life to us in helping us to make sense of what's been going on in our world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that you have seen, as I have seen, the headline in those bold letters which read as follows. The end of the world is almost here. Holy God will bring judgment day on May 21st, 2011. How many of you have been following all of the hype and all of the uh, media on uh, the various messages that have been showing on this idea of the judgment day was supposed to be yesterday? How many of you have been following that? Okay, many of you. Maybe some of you haven't. Well, the pamphlet that I just described to you, which I had received a copy of it, was published by an 89-year-old man whose ministry he started. Harold Camping is his name. He started a ministry called Family Radio. And millions of people have heard this prediction for the last several months, and especially weeks, on his radio station, the many radio stations in this network, across this nation and even around the world. They've also purchased over 2,000 billboards, which were very much... uh, on display here in the United States and around the world. And the prediction that May 21st, 2011, would be Judgment Day has created quite a stir. It's amazing when you can turn on your local news and people are talking about this is the day of the end of the world and Judgment Day is coming. When is the last time the local news has said anything about that? However, in making that statement, they do so with a smirk on their face, acknowledging that nothing's happened. What are we to make of it? I'm curious, I would love to know, we don't have time to go through it, I wonder what's been, what went through your mind yesterday or the days leading up to this prediction. Did you write it off as an overzealous obsession with some prophecy or did you really ponder this prediction and actually wonder to yourself, I wonder, what if it really is true? What about me? And what would really happen? Well, I want to offer several responses to this prediction this morning. I had plotted this out a long time ago, planning to preach on this. Uh, So I've been anticipating that we would be right here on May the 22nd, and here we are. So I'd like you to, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, so I'd like you to follow with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to use a number of scripture passages today, but if you have a pew Bible, 
We'd love for you to find your way there and join us, page 1,175. Matthew 24, 24th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, page number 1,175. I'd like us to consider several passages of Scripture because when events like this occur, we need to go and evaluate what happens based on what Scripture teaches and how to evaluate these events by reading the Word of God together. I'd like to begin reading in verse 36 of Matthew 24. But of that day, this is the day of the great end of the world, the coming of the Son of Man, verse 27 alludes to earlier, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in the days, those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, verse 42, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, I have four points. Very simply, I didn't give you a very extended outline this week, partly because of issues pertaining to my back. So uh, you can follow along as best as you can in your notes or just listen. But the first point I want to think through this morning as we try to evaluate the events that have just recently occurred with this prophecy regarding the end of the world and Judgment Day coming. First point is this, beware of false teaching. Verse 36. Mr. Camping has joined a long list of people who have claimed to have gained new insights which no one else has ever discovered. No one else was ever given the eyes to see these insights and to figure out in, figure out uh, things in the Bible that no one else could possibly see until just now. On his website, Mr. Camping has made this claim, quote, It was not until a very few years ago that the accurate knowledge of the entire timeline of history was revealed to true believers by God from the Bible. This timeline extends all the way to the end of time. And during these past several years, God has been revealing a great many truths which have been completely hidden in the Bible until this time when we are so near the end of the world, unquote. What is he saying? Well, by using an interpretive technique, uh, which is, uh, again, something that he has used extensively called numerology. I'm not going to go into what, what all that means, but he's basically finding symbolic significance of numbers within the scripture all around he has turned the bible into a coded book with secret messages which must be deciphered but it's important for us to understand this morning that the bible the message of the bible is clear it does not require mathematical computations for its understanding the bible is straightforward no one not the apostles nor the prophets, not even Jesus in his earthly nature here, at the time he spoke those words, none of those knows the exact time when the end of the world will come. Notice Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, 
Not Harold Camping. Not anybody. Not the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father alone. Verse 42 reiterates that. Be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Interestingly enough, someone asked that question to Harold Camping. And they said, wait a minute, what about this verse? And listen to his response. This verse was true when it was written. But we have more revelation now. Implying what? That it no longer is true. Things have changed. Again, Mr. Camping, along with everyone else who makes these specific time-related predictions regarding the end of the world and Jesus' return, they misuse the Bible to find a message that is contrary to the obvious teaching of Scripture when you take it at face value. And there is a long list of people who unfortunately have made such claims. I think back to the historical account of March 21, 1844. How many of you remember that prediction? How many of you were there? Oh, sorry, you wouldn't wouldn't remember that. Okay, 1844, yes. Uh, William Miller claimed in his study of the Scriptures that he came up with an understanding that on March 21, 1844, Jesus would return. And his followers, unfortunately, had to face the reality that on March the 22nd, there's an inconvenient truth that they were looking at. He had not returned. And so they had to find some way to understand and interpret, somehow put a spin on their understanding of this prediction. And so they believed that instead of Jesus coming to cleanse a literal temple, he came and cleansed a heavenly temple. And they came up with some other understanding of those things. And these followers of this William Miller banded together, and eventually they were the ones who joined together to found the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Those were its beginnings. It came out of a great disappointment of 1844. This is not the first time it's ever happened. As a matter of fact, there's a guy named Ronald Wineland who claims that he and his wife are the two witnesses of Revelation 11 and that he has set a date, May 21st, 2012, as the day Christ will return. In other words, it happens frequently. We shouldn't be too alarmed or surprised that people come out of the woodwork and they claim that in reading their Bible they've given this insight. Now, my concern is this, that some people who have listened to these broadcasts on the radio or read these messages on the various billboards, that they now will draw the conclusion that the Bible must be filled with false prophecies and that the Bible must be filled with various erroneous predictions because they're hearing this is what the Bible teaches, it doesn't happen, and therefore they draw this conclusion. I just want to make you very clear about one thing. The Bible warns us again and again that there are going to be false teachers. There are going to be people who will deceive and mislead unsuspecting people. Look at verse 4 of chapter 24. Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, says what? See to it that no one misleads you. Implying that what? A number of people are going to try to mislead you. Also, verse 11 He says, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. The scriptures teach that this is something we should anticipate. This is something that we understand is going to happen. And from our scripture reading, we read earlier today in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter offered this warning at the end of his life. He said, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men you fall away from your own steadfastness. 
Now, the Bible has a very high standard when it comes to anybody who's making predictions. If you claim to be a prophet and you're going to speak about what's going to happen in the future, here's the standards. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 through 22. Moses warned that anyone who claims to speak for God and makes a prediction which does not come true, they are a false prophet. Period. You have to be 100% correct all the time. If you're going to claim to be a true prophet, true prophets never say and predict anything that doesn't come to truth, come, come about. And so many teachers, so-called prophets, have claimed to speak on behalf of God. They have claimed to have God's message. But the Bible warns us not to be duped by these people who have claimed to discover, quote-unquote, new insights and new revelations beyond the clear sense of Scripture. Many human authors have endeavored to come to the Scriptures and come up with these different thoughts, but let me just make it something very clear again. Scripture does not contradict itself. The Scripture is always the best interpreter of the Scripture. Why? Because there were many authors who wrote it, human authors, but there is one divine author, the Holy Spirit, enabled and, and led each one who was writing, so therefore it has a sense of unity within the writings of all of the big, different books of Scripture. It is one story. It is God's story. It is indeed warning us that many people will indeed be false prophets. Point number one. Point number two. We need to be attentive to the accurate predictions that are in the Bible. So that rather than just dismissing the Bible and saying, well, I can't have confidence in this book, I would like to suggest just the opposite. Rather than being disillusioned and doubting the veracity of God's Word due to mishandling of the Bible by people who claim to have all these never-seen-before insights from the Word of God, a wise response is to rely fully upon the Scriptures and not some other person and their interpretation of them. One thing all of us should take away from this false prediction is to devote ourselves to the careful study and reading of the Scripture ourselves so that we might know what the Bible says and it predicts and what it promises will take place someday. Focus on the truths of Scripture, which we can know with certainty. Do you know how many predictions in the Bible were fulfilled when Jesus Christ came and, and was born in human flesh? Hundreds of, of Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled, and many other prophecies we've seen fulfilled uh, in history. I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but people who have studied these things have found a number of accurate prophecies contained in the Word of God. And there is no doubt, we can be sure of this, as we read the Bible, that there is coming a day in which there will be a day of judgment. It would be a wrong conclusion to say, well, since this prophecy was erroneous, that there will be no day of judgment, that's the wrong conclusion to draw. Scripture is very clear on this. I want to show you a couple of texts. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. There we read that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed. The Bible teaches that the day of judgment will take place when Jesus returns. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, another important text where we read, The Lord Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Everyone 
who's here today, everyone who's ever been alive and who's dead now, everyone who's alive and lives elsewhere, or everyone who's going to be born someday, everyone will give an account of themselves to Jesus Christ. He will judge the living and the dead. And no one will escape this judgment. And so it would be foolish for us to conclude that because the day of God's judgment was erroneously and falsely predicted to occur on May 21st, 2011, that it will never happen. That's the wrong conclusion, my friend. The Bible is very clear. It speaks to the issues of what is going to happen, and it does predict there is a day of judgment, and Jesus Christ will be the judge. Now, the Bible also speaks very clearly to the issue about how do you deal with all these people who are skeptical now, who say, oh, yeah, you keep promising that there's going to come some day and some big radical end-of-the-world phenomenon Yeah, right, show me. It's never happened. They argue from the past. And so look at what 2 Peter chapter 3 says to that issue. Peter clearly speaks to the skeptics who have said, well, yeah, you talk about Jesus coming someday, but we know he's not come thus far, and it's been a long time, and we've been waiting, 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 and we don't see anything. But look at what he says there when people begin to make fun of us who claim that that is something that's going to happen. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own desires and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Hey, where is He? Where is He? Many people are saying that today. I'm sure in many bars all around the world, and last night particularly in the United States, people just say, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to live it up. They're just a bunch of fools to think of this kind of prediction. At the end of the verse there, verse 4, For ever since the fathers fell asleep, that is, when they died, people lived a long, long time ago, everything continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They argue, yeah, but there's never been anything to show us any evidence. Why should we believe it's ever going to happen? So my point here is that we should not be taken aback when skeptics poke fun at us as Christians who keep sounding the alarm that one day the world will come to a dramatic end and Christ returns in all of humanity will be judged. Don't ignore that which is true because you've heard sometime in a false alarm. Now, I want to tell you a story here about uh, an item that I have here in my hand. It's called a Nighthawk carbon monoxide alarm. How many of you are familiar with these alarms? You plug them into a plug? Okay, some of you are familiar. Many of you are not. You need to get familiar with this. But anyway, long story about this. This was given to us to use in our parsonage over here, and we plugged it in as we're supposed to. It is designed to prevent uh, the silent killer, which is carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, If you ever have carbon monoxide exposed to that over a period of time, you can't smell it. Next thing you know, you get lightheaded, and next thing it could actually kill you, and you never would know it. And so this is an alarm that's designed to help warn you when that's going to happen. There's a problem in it. We plugged the alarm in. It was working fine, and then we started having issues with the battery. It has a backup battery, which is required because in case the power goes off, you've got to have that battery. Well, the 9-volt batteries, for whatever reason, wouldn't last very long. And so guess what? Three in the morning. Beep! Beep! And so out of bed I go, down to discover this thing, and you have to pull it out of the wall. You find it's still beeping. Why? Because it's a bad battery. The battery's the issue. And so then you have to take the battery out. 
Well, that kept happening. I kept putting new batteries in. I tried everything. I called the manufacturer. I kept going through all these hoops. And guess what? Lost quite a bit of sleep with the beep at night. And guess what happened? We don't have it plugged in anymore. Now, that's bad. But I'm being honest with you. Why? Because enough false predictions meant I don't need to be bothered with your beep at 3 in the morning when it's a battery issue and, uh, and so it's not being used. Now, is that to say that I shouldn't be concerned about carbon dioxide poisoning? I should be concerned. It's something that's a real issue that we should have something in place that's a good idea. But here's my point. If it did ring and it did sound the real alarm, would we get out of the house? Of course we would. We don't know better. We don't know whether... We don't know if there's carbon monoxide in, this, in, the, in the air. You can't even tell when you breathe it. Here's my point. My point is that so many people, when they hear the warnings of the Bible, and they hear someone who has just recently said, this is a warning from the Bible, and this is the exact day, people said, eh, just unplug it. I'm not listening to that. And they turn away from the clear warnings that Scripture does contain that are accurate and true. People claim that the world will come to an end. They claim that Jesus is coming in a day of judgment. And guess what they do? They ignore it and go on their merry way and say, well, the Bible must not be reliable. I urge you, my friend, don't ignore the clear teaching of what God has given us in His Word. The Bible is reliable. The Bible is inerrant. And God has given us clear and compelling predictions about what will unfold someday the question is this are you listening to the warnings that are contained therein or were you like me and said i'm just unplugging i'm throwing away getting rid of the battery and i'm dismissing it entirely it ought to get our attention when it does speak to these issues not just some false prophet trying to stir up uh, all sorts of of um, alarm and concern unnecessarily Third point, I want number three, this is taken from verse 44, I want us to be ready for the return of Jesus. If its Bible is true and it does predict the day in which Christ is coming back, then we need to be ready for that day. Recently we've heard of uh, this massive earthquake in Japan. And we've heard also that there was a, a, a tremendous tsunami wave that came as a result of this uh, disturbance underneath the waters there in the ocean off the east coast of Japan. I don't know, I watched a, a, a documentary not too long ago which it described the fact that they have installed an alarm system, a rather elaborate alarm system along the coastal areas where they know that people are living in the floodplain of a, of a tsunami if it were to happen. They know they're in an area with this high frequency of earthquakes. They had an alarm system, and they had certain markers put on the high elevation points saying, once you get past these markers, you're beyond the danger point of a tidal wave from a tsunami. And when they heard the alarm go off, so many lives were saved when those people made their way up from the low-lying areas and got past the markers and did what they've been trained to do in their various uh, uh, different... Uh, trial runs, they knew that they were supposed to go to the high ground. And so the question is, how are we to respond to this warning, to this prediction that the Scripture gives, saying that Jesus Christ is going to come and return in great glory and power, 
and everyone someday will be judged by him. Well, the first thing I think we ought to heed the call of the gospel that speaks to us so eloquently, and I would like to suggest we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. If Jesus is really coming, this to me is a fundamentally important response to the reality he's coming. Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, he speaks to Thessalonians, and we're to turn to God from idols. There is a turning away from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The call of the gospel, my friend, is to turn from false hopes, to turn from those things that provide false spiritual security and to place our full and complete trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Out of His deep love for us, Jesus came to this earth, lived among us, lived a perfect life. He died voluntarily, surrendering Himself on the cross in our place to bear the consequences of our sins as our substitute. And so Jesus commands all of us to repent to repent of our worthless efforts to try to save ourselves by trying to be a better person, to try to work harder at performing religious rituals or striving to somehow earn merit before God. Jesus alone is the only one who is able to deliver us, as it says right there in the text, deliver us from the wrath to come. It's Jesus who will rescue us. No combination of good works will ever satisfy God's justice for the number of times that we've broken his holy laws. And that's why Paul said to that jailer who thought he was going to die, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the most fundamental issue, it seems to me. There needs to be turning our back on the ways that we've perhaps thought. The way I can find security is to just improve myself. It's to turn toward Christ, trust him, rely upon him, and depend on what he did on the cross to save you and to be your, the one who will uh, pro- provide and pr- protect you on that final day. And so the Scriptures will call us to follow Christ. That's the way to be prepared for when He comes. It challenges us who have come to Christ in faith. Look at verse 42 and 44 of Matthew 24. Verses 42 and 44. He says, Be on the alert. Or be ready. You do not know which day the Lord is coming. For this reason you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Rather than slacking off and neglecting our assigned duty, Jesus calls His followers to keep looking for His return. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we notice the admonitions to be diligent, to be found spotless blameless be holy in your conduct in your godly living see jesus is warning his followers not to adopt the pattern of life of those who deny jesus and those who are sort of could care less about this quote judgment day coming people who just mock it and ignore it he's saying no don't be live your life like they do our lifestyle should be characterized by uh, rather than being self-focused rather than being a person who's living for your own selfish pursuits being caught up in the exaltation of yourself in doing whatever you think derives the greatest delight and benefit to you 
in self-fulfillment is to reject that and to therefore turn away from that kind of approach to life and purify yourself. You say, what does that mean? I think the way to purify ourselves is to take the gospel and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. Treasure the fact that God in grace forgives us, cleanses us, gives us life, that he changes us from the inside out. It is Christ who is our righteousness. And therefore, as we talk and think and celebrate the gospel of Christ, applying it to our own thoughts and minds, we celebrate his grace, which thereby will motivate us to want to live a life that is out of gratitude for all that he's done for us. And therefore, since he gave himself for us, we therefore turn and yield ourselves to him. You say, well, what is he wanting me doing all during this time? Look at chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel. That's the pressing issue of what Christ longs to see done while we're waiting. Sorry, I think it's Mark 13.10. Sorry about that. Well, I'm not finding the verse. Sorry, I wrote down the wrong text. But the scriptures talk about the fact that we should, gospel must be preached to all the nations, and then the end comes. Matthew 28 is the clearest verse. I should have gone that anyway. Go into all the world, all the nations, and make, and make disciples of all of them. The, the, the opportunities that we have is to impart the gospel to other people. Not just people we know, but other people who are live far away. People who are nowhere near hearing about Christ. Why? Because that is the privilege and opportunity we have to bring further glory to Christ as more people embrace Him and treasure Him and celebrate all He is to us in the gospel. Indeed, Jesus is coming soon. The question is, are we ready? Or have we become rather lackadaisical? The call when we hear of a day of judgment is to flee to Christ. Have you yourself taken up your cross? Which means you've said, I say, I say no and deny myself. I am not living for myself. My intention is to live for Christ. And I'm going to follow him no matter what the cost. The one who loved me, the one who gave himself for me, I'm trusting in him. He's the one I'm living for now. Does Christ's return motivate you to pursue his kingdom? Does his return motivate you to break a pattern of sin or compromise that's in your life? Do you have that attitude of mind that says that you're going to merely be concerned only with your own interests? Or are you going to have the mindset of Christ that says, I'm going to put the interests and concerns of others above my own? And that's how it's going to motivate my life. I'm here to serve Christ and others around me, to make much of Christ. Rather than becoming consumed with myself and my own comfort, I'm going to give myself in selfless service to the least of the people that God brings in my life. If you read 1 John chapter 3, he even raises the question that Christ could come at some point and leave some of us embarrassed because we've gotten ourselves involved in things that when he comes, we're going to be embarrassed. And the point is, let's give ourselves to serving him while we wait for him knowing that he's coming with such great, wonderful blessings to bestow on his own who have longed for him, who trusted him, who are looking to him. Let me bring you to my final point here. Point number four, we are to be encouraged. Jesus is coming again. Be encouraged. Rather than walk away and be disillusioned and be discouraged, we should see that this reminder of what Scripture tells us 
is that for those who have prepared and those who are looking for Christ's return and who have embraced Him and trusted Him and surrendered to Him, Jesus' return, no matter when it takes place, provides many, many reasons to be encouraged. John 14, 3, Jesus made the promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. One day we will see Christ. One day we will be with Him. One day we'll be in His presence. One day we'll be able to have nothing distracting us, nothing to take away from the glory of enjoying Him 24-7 throughout eternity. The Bible promises a joyous celebration is going to take place when Christ comes. A great marriage supper feast. And Jesus will come and He will rescue His bride and will be with Him forever. And that great celebration, my friend, will be an unbelievable celebration that we will be able to take part in. We'll be overwhelmed as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. No longer will the forces of evil prevail. No longer will death come and steal away like a thief. No longer will we have brokenness and sorrow take away our joy. But the believers are promised that there is a defender. There's an advocate, the Bible says, who will be there in that day of judgment. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he will say, I have died for this one. He already has my righteousness imputed to him. He is forgiven. Enter into my glory. What a glorious hope that is when Jesus himself will say, my death has paid for his sins. Enter into the glory of my kingdom. What a greater, what greater message could there be? We will inherit a kingdom that's been prepared for us from the foundation of the world, Matthew 25. We'll be granted the privilege of reigning with Christ. Joining Him in His reign over all things. A righteous reign. It's no wonder, it is no wonder that Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 refers to Jesus' second coming as a time when He will quote, Save those who are eagerly awaiting Him. Is that where you are today? Is that your heart? I'm eagerly awaiting Christ. Some of you may say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what would happen to me. My friend, flee to Christ. Embrace Christ. Trust Christ. Read of Christ in the Gospels. Enjoy the privileges and blessings that come in the Gospel that say, I'm unworthy. But Christ died in my place. Claim Him as your own and enjoy the delight of knowing there's peace with God through Jesus Christ. He's coming again my day, someday, my friend. You can count on it. That's not a false prediction. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for how reliable your word is. That the word of God is not just merely inspirational words that contain all sorts of errors. But Lord, we thank you that your word is sure. Your word is true. Your word cannot be improved upon. Your word is sufficient. It is inerrant. It is authoritative in all that it teaches on. And Father, we pray that we might leave this place today confident that you are coming back. And the prediction of a day of judgment is true that we will not be duped or deceived by people any longer, but Lord, we'll be confident that what the Scriptures teach, we know to be true. And Lord, I pray that all of us will be prepared for that day. Father, there might be someone here even this morning who came in and they, they were honestly saying, I really don't know what would have happened to me two days ago, a day ago. 
Lord, may this be the day where they say, Lord Jesus, I need to know. Please save me. Rescue me. Give me that eternal life as a free gift by placing their faith only in Christ and what He did on the cross and in His resurrection from the dead. Father, change their hearts. Give them new life, we pray. And may we celebrate the gospel today in ways that bring us great joy and anticipation of what is yet to come. Lord, the story of redemption has not been fully written. And so, Father, we pray that we might be delighted to see that the final chapter someday will be written and you will do it in your time. And may we enter into that time, Father, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, anticipating an eternity of worship, adoration, and, un- and endless joy in your presence. Toward that end, may you be- receive all the glory and all the praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.